The scripture reading this morning is Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Please stand if you are able for the reading of God's word. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word. Morning. My name is John Quazzo, and uh, I currently serve as an elder here at Westgate Church. And it's my pleasure this morning to introduce our speaker, Chris Petty, who's going to be bringing uh, our sermon today. Uh, Chris has quite the CV. He currently serves as the chief recruiting officer at SIM uh, and works closely with the president of SIM, Randy Fairman, who we'll be hearing from next week. And, and we support Randy as one of our missionaries here at Westgate. Uh, Chris is a graduate of Fuller Theological Seminary, uh, and uh, he's had a number of experiences. He's been the COO of a startup company, a senior pastor, and a missionary in the Amazon rainforest. So I'm really looking forward to hearing from Chris today, and uh, welcome to Westgate, Chris. Good morning. I'm so glad to be here with you today. Um, just a privilege to visit Westgate Church. I've heard about you from Randy Fairman, and so I've been excited for several months now to join you in worship, and so so thankful to be here. I want to start just by saying uh, the goal for the sermon, uh, what the outcome is that I desire from preaching this sermon, and it would be that each person here at Westgate Church would glorify God as they take a next step in their obedience to the Great Commission. So wherever you are this morning, I would love for you to ask the Lord, seek the Lord even during the sermon as to what would be a next step that you might take practically in obedience to the Great Commission. I think for some people that could mean that you actually come to know the Jesus who gives the Great Commission. We don't assume that everyone who attends at a church knows the one who gives this great commission, and perhaps by seeing a portrait of him today, you might come to realize that you want to be among his disciples and followers. And first, in order to obey the great commission and to preach the gospel to the nations, you must first be a disciple of his in order to make others disciples. Or it may be that you would become more engaged in praying for workers, for the Lord to send out workers into his plentiful harvest. And you might commit to a life of prayer that the Lord would send more. It could mean that you're more engaged in the mission that your church has in this community. Uh, that you would take a next step in what that might be for you and for your family. Or it could mean that you have a conversation with someone with at SIM or another mission organization with your church leaders about uh, how the Lord might be calling you into overseas missions. But before we do all of that, we need to go to the Lord in prayer, because for any real change to take place in our hearts, we need the Spirit of God to enable us to do that. It's one of the th 
great ironies of being a pastor or a preacher with desired outcomes in a message is you recognize that all of the things that you hope for in the message are actually impossible to be accomplished by you. They must be accomplished by the Spirit of God. So let's pray that the Lord would change our hearts for His glory among the nations. Father, we come to you asking that you would move in our lives and hearts, that we would hear the Word of God as we even recited a few moments ago in the New City Catechism, Lord, the power of the Word of God and our need to meditate upon it and our need to hear it and obey it as coming from you. And so we ask, Father, that you would help us to be uh, people who hear your Word and believe it and that it changes our lives. We pray that the Spirit would work in my life as I preach so that I would not be an obstacle for your word to be heard clearly by your people. And we pray, Father, that you would move among the hearts of your people today, that they would take a next step in obedience to you so that you might be glorified. You are worthy to be worshipped among all peoples of the earth. And so we pray, Lord, that you would enable us to be your messengers and ambassadors and supporters of this great mission so that you would receive the worship that you so deserve. Father, be with us, we pray, in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to draw your attention again to the Great Commission. Uh, you know it well, I'm sure. Matthew 28, 16, 18 through 20 is what I'm going to read right now. Jesus came and said to the disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want you to just think about it afresh if you can. Imagine that you're hearing it for the first time, and just listen to the all statements that are made in the Great Commission. I want you to recognize how sweeping the commands are, first and foremost, and how staggering the claims are that are made in this, these few verses. Sweeping, I mean by Jesus calling us to make disciples of Him from all nations of the earth. <laughs> disciples of Him, meaning followers of Him who will pattern their lives after Him. Jesus is actually telling His people, make disciples, make followers of Me from all all nations of the earth, all people groups of the earth. That's a very sweeping mandate to make by a person. That he would call everyone to be his follower. And then he says, teach them. This is how you make disciples, among other things. You teach them to obey, observe all that I have commanded you. So again, a very sweeping command from Jesus and a staggering claim that initiates this great commission, which Jesus says he's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. I have all authority in heaven and on earth, and I want you to make followers of everybody around the world, and I want you to teach them to obey everything that I have said. So, staggering claim, sweeping commands. The magnitude of the great commission is huge. Jesus is claiming universal authority in heaven and on earth. And He's commanding us to make followers of Him from every people group around the world. And they're to identify with Him in baptism, 
and to be taught to obey everything that He has commanded. Sweeping the all statements here that Jesus is making. And I think there's a danger here of having heard it so often that we don't recognize the magnitude of it. And I think there's another danger. That we would hear it divorced from its context within the book of Matthew. This is the conclusion of a story that Matthew has been telling. And we've skipped to the very end of the story. And most of the time, this is the way the mandate has been preached. It's just in isolation at the end. Go make disciples. But perhaps we haven't contemplated well enough what Matthew has been telling all the way until this time. Apart from some misunderstanding that could occur by just hearing it in his context, there's a danger that we'll hear the words without the proper weight that they deserve. There's a tremendous amount of weight that lands on these last verses of the story that Matthew has been telling. Just imagine skipping to the end of a marriage ceremony where you're committing to be with someone for the rest of your life, regardless of circumstances, to having to hold them with them till death do you part. But imagine doing that apart from actually knowing the person well. Making that kind of commitment. And sometimes, I think, in our hearts, in our minds, when we hear the Great Commission, we're skipping to the end of the story that Matthew has told without giving it the adequate weight that it deserves. We need to consider the nature of the Great Commission and know who really gave it. If someone's telling you they have all authority in heaven and on earth, and if someone's telling you to make followers of them among all the peoples of the earth, you need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the person who's saying those things to you has the credibility to make that kind of sweeping command upon your life and the lives of people around the world. And you need to believe in the core of your being that he has the authority to say such things. And that is part of the story that Matthew is telling that we need to hear. Whether we realize it or not, we could harbor doubts about whether Jesus has this kind of credibility to command others to make disciples from Asia and Africa, South America, Europe, Australia, and North America, and to be taught everything that He has commanded. Does He really have that kind of credibility? And does He really have that kind of authority? And I think most of us would say, yes, He does. I've been a believer. I've been in church a long time. I believe Jesus is credible. I believe He has authority. But I would say we all need our confidence in Him deepened in order to obey. Do you know that two-thirds of Americans say they believe Jesus raised from the dead? They believe that Jesus came back from death. And you would expect that if two-thirds of Americans believe that someone conquered death and came back to life to walk around in the living again, that it would have a dramatic change on the way that Americans live and what they do with their lives, and what they invest in. And yet there is a believing that doesn't translate to action in our lives if it's not a confidence that's rooted in our hearts, born by the Spirit's work. In recent years, Americans have spent more money buying Halloween costumes for their pets than they have invested in overseas missions. And so we say we believe in the Great Commission, and yet 
only 5% of the money that Christians give actually leaves the country. And only and less than 2% ever makes it to people who've never heard the gospel. And this is not a sermon about giving, ultimately. It's an example to say there is a belief in the Great Commission that doesn't translate to the kind of action that it's calling for. To make disciples of Jesus among the nations. To teach them all that He has commanded. So we need to hear again and again, because we're leaky as Christians. We need to hear again and again that Jesus is credible, that He's worthy, and that He has authority to make this kind of command. And so I want to walk you through a couple of portraits in the story of Matthew, large portraits that Matthew gives throughout the entire story to show his credibility and his authority. The Great Commission actually asks us to do this. Uh, If you read it closely, you recognize Jesus is commanding us to baptize those who will be his followers. And you know that Jesus himself was baptized in the very beginning of the gospel, among other things as an example for his followers. And so there's a bookend with baptism here. We also know that Jesus commands us to teach others to obey all that he's commanded. And if you read through Matthew, it's widely recognized that there are five teaching discourses in the book of Matthew. There's the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, the Missionary Discourse, Parables of the Kingdom, Community Discourse, and the Mount of Olives Discourse. And each one of these teaching blocks ends with the same clause, same phrase, when Jesus finished these sayings. And so when, Jesus, when Matthew says, it records at the end that Jesus is saying, teach all that I've commanded, we recognize that he's looking back over the course of the teachings recorded in the book itself to be applied in this great commission. And you know that the gospel begins with Jesus being called Emmanuel, God with us, and it ends after the great commission with Jesus saying, I will be with you always. The presence of Jesus, the presence of God among his people frames the entire book. In other words, you can't read the great commission apart from the story that Matthew's telling. So the Great Commission is really this culmination of the Gospel of Matthew and should be heard in light of the story that Matthew's told about the person Jesus. After all, how can you make followers of someone that you don't truly know, or that you don't know about? The question that I want to answer today is, does Jesus have the credibility and the authority to command us to do what he does in the Great Commission? The first place I want you to see, first portrait of Jesus in Matthew that I want you to see is that he is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah, and by that name we understand that Jesus has fulfilled all of God's promises. He has credibility because he's fulfilled all that God has commanded, and he is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And all of that is subsumed under the title, Jesus is the Messiah. The identity of Jesus is set out in the first sentence of the gospel. It says in chapter 1, verse 1, He is Jesus Christ, Son of David, the Son of Abraham. And you know that Christ is more than a last name. Sometimes it sounds like it, Jesus Christ along the way. But Christ is the Greek word Christos, which refers to the Hebrew word Mashiach, which is Messiah in the Old Testament. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And as such, He is the one who fulfills the Scriptures. That's the portrait that Matthew is telling. Among those promises is the promise to David. Jesus is called the Son of David. 
He is the Davidic Messiah. The kings of Israel were called anointed ones. But all along the way, there was an expectation that the anointed one would come. Who would be the anointed one par excellence. Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one. 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promises to David that a king would come from him who would rule forever. He would rule forever. And Jesus, Matthew makes clear, is in fact that king from the line of David. He's the fulfillment of the promise to David that there will be a king who rules forever. And chapter 1 verse 16 and 17 in the genealogy of Matthew says, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ, Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. The point of David being in the middle of this genealogy as such is to say that Jesus is the son of David. He is the Messiah and fulfills God's expectations for the king who will rule forever. And this identification of Jesus as the son of David is repeated over and over again in Jesus' birth narrative. Matthew presents Jesus as the promised Messiah, the king from David's line who will bring salvation and restoration. He is the one who will ultimately conquer, but he is also the one, the son of David, who shows compassion. And you'll notice as you read through the book of Matthew that those who are hurting call out, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, help me. All of that because Jesus fulfills all of God's promises and all of God's law. But Jesus doesn't only fulfill the promise to David. Matthew records that He fulfills the promises to Abraham. He is the son of Abraham and therefore the promise that the blessing of God would come to all the nations is actually fulfilled in Jesus whose Gospel is proclaimed to all the nations. Jesus is the son of Abraham. But he's also the prophet like Moses as he stands on the Sermon of the Mount and gives his delivery. He fulfills the role designed for Israel. He is the temple who will be destroyed and rebuilt in three days. He is the suffering servant of Isaiah. He is the son of man in Daniel. He is the Christ. The one who is the climax of all of salvation history. And Jesus Himself says, I do not just come to abolish the law and the prophets. I come to fulfill them. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Scriptures. And the One who tells you and me to make disciples of all nations, the One who says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, is the One who has obeyed God perfectly in every way and all the Scriptures. And therefore, as the Christ, the Messiah, the one who's fulfilled all, he has the credibility to say, teach them to obey all that I have commanded. He has that kind of credibility. But not only that, the portrait that Matthew gives in the Gospel is that Jesus is the Son of God. Which means, therefore, that he has authority. He has authority. Enough authority that he commands all in heaven and in earth. We're told at the very beginning that He's born of the Holy Spirit. He's a human, and yet He's something more than human. It becomes very clear early on that He is completely human, but He's born from the Holy Spirit. He's called Emmanuel, God with us. The Magi come to worship Him. 
And God Himself declares Him His Son in the baptism in Matthew 3. Satan will tempt Him over and over again by saying, if you are the Son of God. And Jesus demonstrates that He, in fact, is the Son of God because He has power over Satan's temptations. His sonship is confirmed again when Peter confesses that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And again at the transfiguration when He unveils and we, the disciples get a peek at His glory. A voice from heaven says, this is my Son. Jesus is declared over and over again to be the very Son of God. And therefore, as the Son of God, He has all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority. He has a sufficient authority to give us this great commission to tell us, to tell all nations, follow me. These two titles, Messiah and Son of God, come together in Matthew at the cross. Jesus is indicted because He will not deny that He is the Christ, the Son of God. Matthew 26, verse 62 through 64 says, The high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is this that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. In mockery, the sign above Jesus' head on the cross references His Messiahship. It says He is the King of the Jews. And yet on the cross, He fulfills all righteousness, perfectly fulfills God's command, and died on the cross for sinners like you and me and those around the world. And He is the Son of God. Three times Jesus is mocked or described as the Son of God. The rebels on the crosses beside Him hurl insults at Him. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And a few verses later they say, He trusts in God. Let God rescue Him now if He wants Him. For He said, I am the Son of God. Jesus claims to be the Son of God and demonstrates by His fulfilling the law and fulfilling God's promises even on the cross that He is the Son of God. And after Jesus' death, noticing what's taking place around Him and having witnessed Jesus dying on the cross, the centurion declares, surely He was the Son of God. And then, three days later, raised from the dead, He demonstrates that life is in Him and that He defeats death and that He is the very living Son of God. At the cross, we recognize Jesus as the Christ and the Son of God, the one who has credibility and the one who has authority to make sweeping commands upon our lives that we would be a part of making disciples of all nations. So three hopeful outcomes I have for this sermon, as I mentioned. Just say maybe you've heard of Jesus many times before. You've heard of His name. You've heard of all of these titles, and yet... The Spirit of God this morning is moving on your heart and you see Him really as He is. With all authority, with all credibility. And maybe it's time for you to become a disciple of His by trusting in His name. By trusting in His work. That He finished work as the fulfiller of all that God had required on your behalf. That you might become a child of God through the Son of God. He has authority over everything and everyone. And so you would repent 
of your life of living in rebellion against His authority and turn to Him in faith. Say, I want to follow you, Jesus. Or maybe another possible outcome is that you've heard the Great Commission afresh this morning from Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. And maybe it's landing on you with my prayer just a little more weight than you'd heard it before. Maybe it's you're receiving it as not from man, but you're hearing it as from the one who has this kind of authority and credibility. And I think it's entirely possible that many of you come to the point in the sermon and you're thinking, Chris, you've preached a sermon, but you really haven't told me anything about Jesus that I didn't already know. I mean, I've read Matthew. I know He's the Christ. I know He's the Son of God. I know He fulfilled all of God's promises. But if that's the case, it might be helpful at this time just to remind you that there are over 3 billion people around the world who've never actually heard His name. Let alone these truths about Him being Messiah or Son of God. There are places in the world where you can knock on doors. Hypothetically, you could knock on a door for eight hours a day for over three years before ever encountering a person who has heard the name of Jesus. Unreached areas of the world who do not know that this one has come and that he has this kind of commission that all would follow him, that they would be taught to observe all that he's commanded and that they would live with him forever. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, Jesus says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As we close, can I just suggest one step for everyone in this room? There are other steps that you could take, and I'll be here at the church outside, and I would love to talk to anybody about other steps that you can take. There are many steps between where you might be now and actually going itself that you can take in obedience to the Great Commission. One of those steps that everybody can take is to begin praying that the Lord would send more workers into this harvest field where so many haven't heard His name. SIM has a way for you to do that practically. Uh, we, uh, every day at 9.38, for Matthew 9.38, Matthew 9.37 says, The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. 9.38, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that He would send workers into the field. If you click on this our QR code, uh, and I'll have cards later that you can follow to get to that place. You can receive a text every day at 9.38, just a short text, and it talks about someone who's on their way to becoming potentially a missionary. Maybe they've inquired with us as a missions organization. Maybe they're going through training. Maybe they're raising support. All of those kinds of things. You can be praying for those people every day, just a one minute a day would be a step in your own life practically and in your heart to take toward the Great Commission. So let me close in prayer, and as I said, I'll be glad to talk to any of you later. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. Father, I confess that when I read this over again, I'm 
really overwhelmed at the statements Jesus is making. It's global in its scale. It's cosmic in its nature. And yet, Father, Jesus has the credibility and authority to make this kind of claim upon our lives. So I pray that you would move upon your people's lives, hearts today, that they would take another step in obedience to the Great Commission, that it would be more than another thing to obey. It would be really the purpose of their lives. They would give themselves to it. Whatever way you would call them to do that. Maybe it's to stay here. Do what they're doing on a daily basis, but to direct their life, their resources, their prayer time, their hearts, their energy toward making Christ's name known. Or maybe, Father, it's to go. Maybe someone here is actually being called to go and make disciples. What a great privilege that is. So I pray, Father, you would confirm that in anyone's heart, but that you would move us all to proclaim your name among the people of the earth for their good, for our good, and for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.